Hello, welcome to You Don't Know Mojack. My name's Ryan. My name's Brent. In this episode, we're discussing SST-266, the St. Vitus Heavier Than Thou double LP. We have uh, had St. Vitus on the show a number of times. Uh, Brant is a, a lifelong fan. I've been getting a baptism, a bit of a baptism by what? By fire, maybe? Maybe. Ba- <laughs> baptism by black candles? Yeah. Maybe. But definitely growing an appreciation for St. Vitus. It was cool to listen to them on this comp again this week in preparation for the episode. But if you want to talk heavy, Brant, tell us about our special guest. Oh, yeah, we've got a special guest this week. J.J. Anselmi is on the show. Yeah, so cool to have J.J. on. And he wrote the book on Heavy, didn't he? Yeah. Yeah, he wrote the book Doomed to Fail. Yeah, which I know uh, you've read. And interesting interview with J.J. um, And lots of parallels with you in particular that come out in that interview. And I know people will like that. And perfect fit for a St. Vitus episode. Yeah, I think so. I think so, too. Before we get into it, Brent, why don't you hit us with some spiels? Okay, I have my Recommend Roundup 2023 edition. Okay, what? What does yeah. that mean? It means uh, bat and cleanup. Going to go back in time. <laughs> <laughs> Huey Lewis style? Okay, yeah. all right. Yeah. Okay, okay. Well, what? It, so is this stuff that you missed when we did our year end? Well, it's Recommends. Right. Okay. Yeah. Well, like, like that people made to you. Well, I'll give you an example. Sam, I am stowaway. Awesome. Hey. Right. Right. One yeah. of yours. Pure, yeah. Pure noise records. Okay. So my history and knowledge with this band is extremely limited. I first heard them circa 1990 on the Thrasher comp Skate Rock Nine Ponds of the Apocalypse, which is very near and dear to me. I've mentioned it before. Uh, it's also the first time I heard Blast is on that comp. I just love every single song on it, including the two Sam I Am songs, Too Many Buttons and Tired of Waiting. Um, now, by this point in the in the Skate Rock series, they were kind of putting so- like two songs by the same artist back-to-back on the comp, which I like. Um, both of those songs rule so hard, and both are taken from um, their debut single on Lookout. The other Sam I Am music I know is the Buf. Oh, that's the the beefy, yeah, yeah, the EP. You know That's where, a good one. You know where I got that? Um, I don't. Did I give it to you? You gave it to me. Oh, okay. Yep. There we go. Uh, super killer early EP with re-recordings of both of those songs on it, actually. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really enjoy it. Um, but that's it. Not sure why, because I, I love all of that stuff. This, for me, a little too slick, maybe. Like, I get that they're an older band and, and artists evolve and, you know, bands that I've been following their whole career that evolve like this. I don't have a problem with it, but I guess I just don't have that. Like I didn't evolve with Sam. I am. Maybe? Oh yeah. 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 I don't have the history with the band. Does that make sense? It does. I get it. You're coming in with them sounding slick and not understanding their new red archives records, their major label stint. Yeah. And then the post major label when they dropped them after, you know, after the Nirvana craze, Um, and then how they've come back every few years with a killer record like this one. I get it. Yeah. Okay. And then another one on my list here is train dodge, the alley parade. Ooh, that's good. Spartan records. I believe you, you said you saw this on Conan neutrons list. Yeah. That was a miss for me in the 2023 roundup. And I of course check out everyone else's lists and then Conan mentioned this one. I was like, Oh dude, new train dodge. Got to get it. 
Yeah. Interesting band. I can see why you and he, he like it. Maybe it's not quite as noise rock as I was expecting. Mm. Like it's pretty melodic, which is yeah. fine. Uh, maybe just not what I was expecting. But did you like it? Yeah, it was okay. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, so the recommend roundup so far is your recommends are, you know, like milk toast. Luke, <laughs> lukewarm. Lukewarm, yeah. Uh, okay, keep going. Speaking of lukewarm recommends, <laughs> <laughs> here's another one of yours, the dwarf. <laughs> Uh, the Dwarves concept album. Now, I know you've kept up with the Dwarves. If I'm being honest, I lost interest 20-some years ago after the Come Clean album. Not into the slick pop-punk Dwarves. Not, it's definitely not into the hip-hop influences with the Dwarves. Having said that, this is better than I expected. I, I guess I should listen to some of the, the other stuff from the last 10, 20 years. Uh, there's no doubt Blag can, can write a song and... and I get it. These dudes aren't 20-year-old Hellraisers anymore. I I don't know. It's the dwarves. I, I guess it, maybe it's unfair of me, but I, I like to have a certain... Uh, I have certain expectations, like, you know, blood, guts, and sodomy style. Mm. You know what okay. I mean? Yeah, well... Yeah, like, give me the sub-pop years. Yeah, Sugar Fix. Yeah. Sugar Fix is their best record for me still. Yeah. Okay, here's another recommend. The Evening Suns, and the album is called Tracks. This came out last year on Curation Records. Not sure how I missed it. I'm usually on top of Curation. It's the label owned by Brent Rademacher of uh, Beachwood Sparks, among other bands. This recommend came from friend of the pod, Ken De La Cruz, who has great taste, definitely knows what we like. He's um, He hipped us to the boot heels, remember? Oh, yeah. yeah. Love that one still. Yeah. So these guys are from England. Um, Ken pitched them to me as a quote, fuzzy, melodic rock and roll with an early 90s dinosaur posies teenage fan club sound. And that's pretty spot on. Some definite power pop vibes, uh, a cut above most of the bands kind of mining this sound. The Evening Suns. Hmm, that sounds decent. I'll check it out. Yep. And here's number five. Uh, The band's called Stepmother and the album's called Planet Brutalicon 2023 TP Records. Another label I'm generally on top of, again, not sure how I missed this one, especially considering who's involved in this band, it's Graham Cleese from Annihilation Time, Lecherous Gaze, Rot TV, Witch, with Jay Maskus, several several others. It's a little more straightforward rockin' than, say, Annihilation Time, maybe a little little closer to that awesome Rot TV album um, he and fellow stepmother member uh, Robert Muenos did in 2022. Um, not sure what the status of Rot TV is. Um, hopefully another another record because that one was really good. Um, most of the, th- this album's cool. Um, it even has a cover of the song "Sign DC," just like the Grand Heart album. Remember? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, most of most of his band stuff is on TP. TP deep connections to the label and musically, it all fits perfectly with the with the TP sound. I don't actually know if Graham Cleese is an American living in Australia now, or if he was an Australian living in the U.S. During the time he was in Annihilation Time, Lecherous Gaze, etc., they were uh, U.S.-based bands. Rot TV and now Stepmother are both Aussie-based groups. Maybe listener Kevin Prested can clear it up for us. He uh, is the dude that made the recommend. Uh, He recommended a bunch of Aussie stuff I haven't had time to check out yet. Some other listeners sent in some additions to our 2023 review. So stay tuned for another installment of Recommend 
recap at some point because there's a lot that I, I still have to get to. Kevin, by the way, who, uh, who recommended the Stepmother album, also wrote the book Punk USA, The Rise and Fall of Lookout Records, which we've both read. Yep. It's really great. If lif- listeners haven't read it yet, you really should. Um, you and I both have the 2014 edition, uh, but as Kevin pointed out, it was updated and expanded in 2022 with new interviews, photos, and a foreword from Jesse Michaels of Operation Ivy. Huh. I did not know that. Yep. Uh, speaking of TP Records, Ryan, real quick, there was an announcement this week, uh, the week we're recording this, about a new Doom supergroup called Legions of Doom. <laughs> okay. And there's a tie-in with this episode, so get this. That sounds a little on the nose. Yeah. Ron Holzner of Trouble and The Skull on bass, Henry Vasquez of The Skull, who also uh, replaced Armando Acosta in St. Vitus uh, after his unfortunate passing, uh, is the drummer for this project. Um, Guitarists Lothar Keller of The Skull and Scott Little of a band called Leadfoot. Um, The Skull was basically Trouble minus um, Rick Wartell and Bruce Franklin. Uh, they started out just doing Trouble material and ended up releasing two great albums of, of original Trouble-esque Doom on TP Records. Anyways, Legions of Doom started doing shows as kind of a tribute to Trouble and the Skull sing, uh, vocalist Eric Wagner, who passed away a few years ago. Uh, but now they're focusing on original music and they have two vocalists. One is Carl Agel, who was the first vocalist in the reformed Corrosion of Conformity. He performed vocals on their comeback album Blind in 1990 uh, before leaving in 1993 to form the fo- band Leadfoot. The other vocalist is, you guessed it, Scott Riegers. Ah. Yeah. They're recording an album at Albini's studio right now for uh, a release this year on TP Records. Uh, mm. And when they play shows, they're going to be performing new material from this album that's going to be coming out, as well as Blind Era COC. The Skull, Trouble, Leadfoot, and Vitus material. How about that? Wow, that'd be cool. Yeah. Not as much up my alley as it is for you, but that sounds definitely interesting. Worth checking out. Yeah. Okay, so I'm way behind on checking out some of these other listeners' recommends and my the next installment of my alphabetical album spiel series because I've been on a total no-means-no tear, Ryan. I could skip ahead, I guess, to the letter N and do 10 No Means No albums, no prob. Um, yeah. We've mentioned it a few times, but the book um, No Means No From Obscurity to Oblivion by Jason Lamb with Paul Prescott on PM Press that came out earlier this year is incredible. You seemed a bit a bit lukewarm about it when you started reading it, but now you're in, hey? Oh, I've done it now. And once, once I got going, you know, yeah, once, yeah. The, once the band really started cooking, I was all in. It's um, amazing. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure we've talked about this before, but No Means No is practically the reason you and I met in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, back in the 90s, you and I were totally obsessed, pun intended. Um, I thought I was a mega fan until I met you. You know, for people who don't know, Ryan was a hardcore tape trader in the No Means No community, cassettes, VHS. This is all pre-internet, of course. I remember when I thought Betrayal, Fear, Anger, and Hatred was the first No Means No release. And then I met you and, and you were all like, check this out. And you showed me like the Here Come the Wormies 7-inch or the Infamous Scientist stuff. The band that you and I ended up forming got to open for No Means No. Mm-hmm. The, the band has just meant so much to both of us. And like you, I've heard these records 
so many times that I, I don't pull them out all that often anymore. But man, the book is just incredible. He really did talk to everyone and then some. Yeah. Uh, totally did the band justice. It really does give um, so much insight into the enigma that is Rob Wright. Especially, I know, right? Yeah. Especially those la- later years too, right? Like yeah. what was going on with the band. It's uh, it's very insightful. I love it for that reason too. Yeah, a little sad towards the end when Rob was maybe getting a bit a bit jaded or losing interest. Like there is no doubt in my mind that there's never going to be a No Means No reunion. Hell no. no. There's no way. No, although I'm super excited to see Dead Bob in a couple of weeks. That's yeah. going to be, that's just going to be killer. It's, you know, it's, it's No Means No. Plus pigment vehicle, yeah, plus it, plus invasives, plus yeah. Ford Pier, which is like DOA too, right? Yep. So it's just that is a Canadian super group that will put on one hell of a show. Yeah, I can't wait. Um, but yeah, nice to see the band really get starting to get their due. I would say, and you know the recon, recognition that they deserve. Yeah, and totally. You know, I was listening to I listened to every No Means No record while I w- went through the book in chronological order. I listened to like all of Tom Holliston's solo records, all mm. the Showbiz Giants, yep. um, all of that stuff. Yeah, it's yeah. great. It's great. Did you see the picture of me in there? Come on. Is there a picture of you in there? I was looking for it. Yeah. Are you in a- one of the collages? Yeah. Is it your uh, your ID card? Your wrong no, ID card? No, 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 no. I'm wearing you. I'm wearing a "You Kill Me" shirt, playing bass on stage. Oh, um, at the club you still book for, hmm. in a different band than you and I were in, but with the drummer that you and I had the same band with. Yep. He was the drummer in that band, and I was 14. Nice in that in that photo. And there's and I got a, a, a juicy quote. In the book too. I don't know if you saw that. I did see the quote. Yeah, your yeah. classic slush pump story that still makes me <laughs> laugh every time I read it. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Finally in print. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's an awesome book. Um, one more quick recommend, Ryan, and this one is for you. Okay. Uh-oh. Okay. The new issue of Decibel has a Hall of Fame induction that I suspect is in your wheelhouse. Mm. They induct the the breadwinner um, burner oh, yeah. EP. Awesome, man. Awesome. Of course, as is the rule, they talk to all three members. Um, lots of Richmond, Virginia talk. No mention of alternatives, but Burma Jam and Butter Glove get mm-hmm. some love. Lots of discussion about Honor Roll. Of course, mm-hmm. Penn Rawlings of uh, Breadwinner was in both Butter Glove and Honor Roll. Uh, Breadwinner is even on the tree. Drummer Chris Farmer did time in Hotel X, a band we're slowly but surely making our way towards. I can't wait. Hotel X is one of those bands I'm most looking forward to getting into outside of the, you know, all the Gin projects. And um, I'm really looking forward to getting into Sorta Quartet and Bazooka and Hotel X. So, you know, 130-ish episodes to go here and still lots of great stuff to come. We can do it. Yeah. That's all I have, Ryan. What do you have? Well, I've got, I was, I don't know. Actually, I was a little like on the fence about whether to do a record store day report, mm. but, but there's so many, uh, releases coming out in the upcoming record store day. I'm still going to do one. I just have such a love hate relationship with record store day. Like I don't need a repress of, you know, the most famous Asia record of all time, <laughs> because guess what? You can find them all day long at your used record store. I don't need represses of that. I don't need special editions of Adele's records. Um, 
and I also just hate the whole eBay flipping yeah. uh, scene that is around Record Store Day. It just bugs the heck out of me. And then I, I also sometimes uh, get pretty frustrated with these ultra-exclusive releases by bands that I love, and then I just can't get it. I can't I can't get a copy, you know? Or And I mean, I try to... I try to kind of calm myself down. Don't worry, bide your time. It'll show up eventually, you know, but some of the stuff during the years of record store day that I was like, okay, one day this will show up. It's never showing up. And it might just be a function of living in Canada. I don't know. Um, Did you get the, it, the screaming trees from the last one? Yeah. 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 For yeah. sure. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, the last one I gave a crap about and got was the worm. Uh, oh, the double issue. LP. Yeah. 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 But, well, you know, I'm glad you're doing this because I, I don't look, so, you know. Yeah. It's... Well, there's some on here that I bet you you'll be interested in. Uh, there's definitely some that I will be interested in. And, you know, there's enough on this one, I would say, this this um, this edition of Record Store Day coming up in April, that it might just be worthwhile standing in line with all the eBay flippers because there's there's enough that there's bound to be one or two of these in the bins by the time you get there waiting in line for an hour and a half. So here's here's the quick list of the ones that caught my attention. Now I I don't I'm not going to go into much detail about like what are they about, but uh, here's some that caught my attention. Uh, Touch and Go is going to release a digits comp, mm-hmm. and the second LP is all unreleased stuff. So that's great. It's called Strictly Dynamite. That one I want. That's going to stress you out if you don't get that. I know, right? <laughs> this is this is my problem. Um, Soul Jazz Records is reissuing their first Punk 45 comp, Kill the Hippies, Kill Yourself. That's a great one. Hard to get for a long time. Uh, usually pretty darn expensive too. Hopefully it comes out a bit more reasonably priced. The Mud Honey, Suck You Dry, the reprise years, 5 LP box is coming out. Ooh. Now, uh, one of those records is all unreleased stuff. Or not, so, sorry, Maybe not unreleased, but, you know, B-sides and rarities, blah, blah, blah. Put together on an LP for the first time, so that's cool. Um, The Ramones, the 1975 Sire demos. There are replacements, not ready for prime time. This is the live live set from the most recent uh, Tim Let It Bleed box as a standalone release. GBI, Grohl, Benant, and Ian, as in Scott, Ian, Brandt. Yep. Do do the regulator. It's a Bad Brains tribute single for as a benefit for HR GBI. Oh. Yeah, um, this is another one that I am super excited about to get. Uh, I love this record. Tad Infrared Riding Hood um, out on vinyl. That's I love Tad, and I feel like Infrared Riding Hood. It would very much fell victim to that major label wave where they got signed. This. It came out, there was no promo, it died. And if you didn't catch it in the cutout bin in the first couple of years, impossible to find. Awesome to see Tad get some street cred with this infrared riding hood release. Of course, there's an Iggy and the Stooges live record. There's a Alex Chilton record, Clichés on Bar None. This is, looks to be an all acoustic set, which I'll be into for sure. Another band I love, the Verlaines, Way Out Where, coming out on School Kid. Um, Bucky Fellini by Dead Milkman is being re-released. The Dream Syndicate sketches for the Days of Wine and Roses LP. Um, I don't. That's probably something you're interested in checking out. There's there's a couple. 
the days before the day before wine and roses is probably the same stuff i'm guessing yeah you yeah. probably have it but you might still need it that uh, uh that bucky fellini is the best dead milkman record by the way yes i know yeah um <laughs> i know you feel that way yeah the <laughs> eggy is that watt era egg or is that like yep yep it's 2005 okay yeah, so it'll be decent, right? Yeah. Um, not like the zillions of poorly recorded stuff uh, that you and I still have, too. Yeah. Malfunction brand. This one I'm looking forward to. Olympus Awaits. Double LP. Discography, like every recorded bit of Malfunction on a double LP. Very cool. Yeah, how about that? Uh, Meat Puppets, live in Montana. The Cramps are re-releasing the Ultra Twist single. The band Come, another re-release of 1111, uh, but I love that record. I don't need another version of it, though. Here's a band that I feel like you might know something about. I don't know anything about them. I didn't really look it up. Dead Horse, the Blown Away Tapes. This is Rat Scabies, Glenn Matlock, and Durwood Andrews. Hmm. Can't read my own writing here, but that sounds like something that you may know something about. Rat Scabies and Glenn Matlock band, Dead Horse. No, Ring I a don't. Bell? I don't. No. Is it new no no it's mm -hmm. it's like uh it looks to be i don't have all my notes here yeah, okay? like maybe it never came out or something yeah yeah it looks like it was it was the uh the beginnings of a potential mm -hmm. kind of super group and they did some recordings rough recordings and it never got released so i bet you you're into that one yeah here's another one that you're also probably into but i'm sure you have several copies is it i knew where i know buffalo bill can't oh, you, remember jeremy gluck's album yeah gluck yeah. sudden and howard i have it yeah yeah, there's a re-release of that one. Um, also on the re-release front, they're releasing uh, Joe Strummer and the Mescaleros rock art in the X-ray style, but on a double LP huh. for the ultimate audio experience. I might still need to get that one. I don't know. <laughs> uh, Sonic Youth, Hits Her for Squares, another one. So there's just tons of re-releases or, or reissues of long forgotten, but you know, well-loved records that are coming out tons on the tree. So, uh, I, like I said, it might be worth standing in line for this one because you're bound to, uh, to run into one or two of these, I would suspect. I think there's a screaming trees record as well. Uh, you're right. I missed that on my list. Yeah. So, I mean, like, again, what I'm getting at is there's a, a pretty decent amount of stuff. If you can sift through all of the Asia re-releases yeah. this time around yeah awesome okay man saint vitus heavier than thou history lesson part one so like i said we've had saint vitus on the show several times before i'll give you a quick rundown here uh, and we go all the way back to sst 022 the self-titled record where we had joe carducci on as a guest that was awesome especially mm -hmm. in kind of the early Mojack days to have Joe on. So awesome. SST 42 is the Walking Dead record. SST 43 is the Blasting Concept 2. That has uh, some vi or one Vitus track on it, I should say. SST 52 is Hallow's Victim. SST 66 is Program Annihilator Volume 1. That has uh, several St. Vitus tracks on it. SST 82, Born Too Late. SST 119, the Thirsty and Miserable EP, where we had Dave Chandler on as a guest. Very cool to have Dave on. SST 161, Mournful Cries. SST 213, Program Annihilator Volume 2. Again, multiple Vitus tracks on that comp. And then here we are at SST 
266, heavier than thou. We made it. We made it. Yeah. I thought I was going to be able to ding you on the the blasting the concept in the program the annihilators. Yeah. No, uh, as I was making my list, I'm like, oh, I can't wait to take the wind out of Brant's sails with these ones. Yeah. Did I miss any though? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. I and and if I'm not mistaken, this is it for Vitus for us. Nope, there's one more. Is there? Yeah. Oh, there's, the uh, the the is it the is it the comp CD? Is that yeah, the one? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you're right too. So one more chance to get Scott Riegers on the show. I he is one of the guys I've tried hardest over the years to to track down. No dice. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's too bad. But you know, maybe just maybe. Maybe. Well, now that he's got this new band, right? Exactly, right? He might have to, he might want to, you know, be moving some product by showing up on the podcast. Yeah, I'm sure he's real <laughs> concerned about moving product. <laughs> uh, the band, St. Vitus, of course, are one of the big four of Doom. Do you know who the big four of Doom are, Ryan? Uh, I don't. Isn't Trouble one of them? Trouble's one of them. Yes. Vitus, and give me the other two. Candlemass and Pentagram. Okay, there you go. Yeah. Dave Chandler on guitar, Mark Adams, rest in peace on bass, Armando Acosta, rest in peace on drums, and first Scott Riegers, and then Scott Wino Weinrich on vocals. Part of that first crop of bands signed to SST, they started as Tyrant in 1978, signed to SST when members of SST Overkill convinced Ginn to check them out, uh, leading to several excellent albums like you just mentioned, extensive touring with Black Flag in 84-85. When vocalist on their first two albums, Scott Riegers, left in early 1986, they replaced him with obsessed frontman Scott Wino Weinrich. And that lineup makes up three quarters of this compilation. Uh, We've been through the history of, of the band on previous episodes, so that's about as deep as we'll go here. So this week's interview, Ryan, we're trying something a little different this week with our guest JJ Anselmi. JJ's a writer and musician. Uh, We touch on that in the interview, uh, but the primary reason I asked him to be on the show uh, is because of his uh, book, Doom to Fail, The Incredibly Loud History of Doom, Sludge, and Post-Metal, 2020 Rare Bird Books. There's a whole chapter on Vitus called Figure in Black, which is, of course, a Sabbath reference. Um, More on that after the interview. But for now, let's throw to JJ. Yeah. All right, we're joined on the podcast today by JJ Anselmi. JJ, thanks for being on the show. Thanks so much, Brent. I'm stoked to be here. All right, so let's go all the way back. You grew up in Rock Springs, Wyoming. Yeah, and it's a, uh, you know, it started as a coal mining town, and that's still a large part of the town's identity. And it's always been, uh, like, super industrial. In your 2016 book, Heavy, you paint a, pl- a pretty bleak picture addiction suicide poverty tell me about about yeah. some of that yeah for sure i mean uh you know the whole town's economy it was around coal mining for a long time and that is uh stuck around and people have really kind of dug in their heels there and tried to make it last but it's um you know drifting and i i think it's um pretty bleak for the community you know, it, it really uh, makes job prospects, um, you know, a lot more. Uh, there, there's just a lot fewer jobs and, and stuff like that. And they've latched on to um, when I was in high school and graduated, it was uh, hydraulic fracturing, which is, you know, just uh, pretty. Uh, there's a ton of that in Canada. So I'm there sure is. you know all yep. about that. Yeah. 
um, you know, just a really dirty way of getting uh, shale oil and uh, natural gas out of the ground. Um, but yeah, it's always been industrial and um, Wyoming, um, that section of it is, you know, pretty isolated. You can go any direction from the town, five minutes in any direction, and you'll essentially be totally alone, which is really, is really cool, you know, and it's awesome to grow up there and like you could just go out to the prairie and if it wasn't cold outside during the winter and just do whatever the fuck you want essentially but um yeah then the the darker sides of you know of living in a really heavily industrial town is there was a ton of partying you know when a lot of the workers oil-filled workers and people out at the power plant um which is it's a like is one of the main employers is called um Pacific Power. It's where my dad worked for a long time. Um it's this coal fueled power plant. A lot of those, you know, a lot of those uh people who work at those places, when they weren't working, they wanted to um, you know, they just wanted to party. They were a lot of times I think their bodies are pretty punished by that type of labor. And so they just really wanted to let loose. You know, and then all those things contribute to uh super high suicide rate so unfortunately that's something that i really grew up with it's kind of uh a lot of people who grew up there we um see it as just kind of a fact of life which is you know i didn't really understand how kind of fucked up that is until i was in my early 20s and like left and realized that most people don't you know have like uh you know nine people that they've known who've killed themselves especially in a in a smaller city like that for sure yeah yeah when i was growing up is only twenty thousand people so the per capita suicide rate was it, it was just through the roof it, it was fucking crazy yeah and, th and so through all that you know it's um i'm still super glad that i grew up there and for the perspective that it gave me and when i found black sabbath and stuff like that it was just i immediately could like feel even before i like really knew sabbath story it just hit home in this really kind of um elemental way i think and then the more i learned about black sabbath that they're from birmingham and um you know super industrial and tony iomi got his fingers chopped off in a, a sheet metal accident and all that stuff is just like oh man yeah this is the music for me for sure and it was I, I i knew punk before then and i had listened to a lot of uh like new metal and things like that but um yeah black sabbath was definitely like a it's a fork in the road for sure and i i went down it yeah definitely yeah reading your story it sounds a lot like mine to be honest with you from western canada super isolated i'm from a from like a, a pulp and paper mill town so okay. same thing yep. everybody in town worked there yeah um, lots of drinking lots of drugs yeah. um and uh, lots of the other stuff that comes with it as well yeah yeah man is the paper mill still there there was three when i was growing up and now there's one kind of right same kind of thing really hanging yep. on you know yeah yeah and all the and then there you get that kind of collective anxiety for yeah yep. and generations and, kind of working yeah there, you know and and rock springs is you know at its at its core it's a boom town and so like in the 70s uh, when my parents got together it was going through this huge boom and there was like a, a block of town that was 
just like essentially open market for mm-hmm. uh, prostitution and just all kinds of crazy stuff that was happening in this town that was otherwise, you know, pretty, I don't know, pretty like mellow in comparison to what they saw during that era. And then that really seemed to kind of change their uh, trajectory. And then, but when it would go into a bus period, it was just bleak for people. Then, you know, the suicide rate would get even higher and the drinking and all that stuff. And yeah, yeah it's, it's a rough cycle, man. It's, it's a tough, uh, tough time for places like that. Yeah. And your grandfather, Don was kind of, I guess, implicated in some of the, yeah. know, the corruption. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. That was, um, the, actually the, the next book I'm going to start working on is, is really all about going to be about, you know, kind of my family and rock Springs and my experiences with, with, all of them, but uh, mainly one of them. It was kind of like my insane second cousin. But um, yeah, so my grandpa was uh, in 1977. I, I should go back. He was a business owner and him and his um, three brothers were super successful in town. Um, but they were also like very competitive and cutthroat with each other. Um, so my grandpa ran a... Um, uh, like a nice motel, hotel motel thing for a long time. And he was a Democratic uh, state uh, chairman for, I can't remember how many years he was on that, um, for, you know, a good number of years for sure. And so he's a very well-known figure. Um, but yeah, there's plenty of rumors in town that he was part of the mafia. And, you know, that was kind of like how we got his start and allegedly had some connections and stuff like that. And so... In in seventy seven, when the town was going through that huge energy boom that I'd mentioned, um, you know, Dan Rather and his team, you know, they got wind of like that all this crazy stuff was happening in that town, and so they did uh, two ep- two episodes of sixty minutes, and um, the first one is all about the kind of uh, prostitution that was happening and just kind of the obvious that. Like if it if it's happening in a small town and so openly, you know, on this block that of course everyone knows about it, including all the like city officials and stuff like that. And so, you know, Dan rather like really made a case for the corruption and tried to kind of go to town there. And I guess really the way I think about it over the years and a lot of people in town is that it's, you know, it was just kind of like uh it was a thing that was gonna exist no matter what law enforcement did. So I think they figured we we might as well just let it happen. And instead of like busting, um, you know, busting sex workers constantly and throwing them in jail, just let it happen because, you know, again, it's, it's going to exist whether or not law enforcement, you know, (laughs) likes it or not. Well, it seems like every cop was pretty much on the take, too. Yeah, for sure. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, there, and there was plenty of corruption, for sure. Yeah, um, yeah and so and then in the second one, um, he focuses on uh, my grandpa. Dan rather focuses on my grandpa. And the main allegation is that um, my grandpa tried to have um, uh, his partner's son got arrested for uh, selling weed. And um, he was like talking to a confidential informant and didn't realize, you know, that (laughs) this person worked for the FBI. Mm -hmm. Um, And my grandpa tried to um, 
get that arrest essentially like wiped off the kid's record. And he definitely did do that for sure. You know, whether or not it's worthy of like a 60 minutes episode, I'd say probably not, but you know, and, and, and so it's like, there were those stories about my family like swirling around. And if you think about it in 77, when a 60 minutes episode is about your small town, like, it's like a nuclear bomb going off, you know, in, yeah. in a media sense. It was just like that was the truth to people. Absolutely. And and I, I hadn't seen the um, the 60 Minutes episode until probably like 10 or so years ago. And when I finally did, it, it's kind of mind blowing that that level of journalism was allowed on national TV. Like there, there's, it's, it's all hearsay, mm -hmm. essentially. And like this person said this and this person said this and um, really I'm trying to dig in and like find out what was true and what's not. And I actually just uh, in fall of 2000 uh, or last year in fall of 2023, um, I finally got my grandpa's uh, FBI record. I put in a um, freedom of information act request mm -hmm. um, for him and my great uncle. And um it took three years, so I had to wait three years for that to go through. And I had filed it uh, like just before COVID, oh, yeah. so <laughs> they got completely derailed right. and <laughs> took a really long time. But yeah, I finally got it. And the one on my grandpa was pretty, you know, I was expecting kind of a smoking gun, but it was really not much. The, there was like some allegations that he was hosting some, uh, you know, like illegal gambling parties in his hotel which of course he was all those people were <laughs> in rock springs in the 70s there was plenty of gambling <laughs> if you yeah. wanted to find it um and so i think the fbi tried to dig in and see what was going on with him and really didn't find that much uh, my great uncle on the other hand um he was uh um basically committing fraud with he owned a couple of car dealerships um, and he was committing this type of, I, I guess you would call it fraud with, um, against GMC. He would, um, he would sell these like fake warranties on cars that didn't exist. That was one of his hmm. like gimmicks. And I think GMC got wind of it and put the FBI on him. Um, and then another, uh, another of his schemes was that he, he had one car dealership in that town, Rock Springs, and then another one in a town couple hours away and he would he would sell cars from the one car dealership to another one and take out bank loans to to buy the car and then just never pay the loan back um so yeah he was, he was like it reminds me of like better call Saul type right. type of people just like very kind of just greasy and kind of constantly scheming um yeah I think one thing I took away from reading those FBI files, especially about him, my great uncle Bill, um, is that you do not want the FBI on you for something. Like they are the amount of just like fact gathering was was mind blowing to me. You know, just from like kind of a a music journalist point of view, I was just like, man, these guys they weren't fucking around. Like if they want to get on you, they, they dug in. Yeah. The amount of just like receipts and just, you know, follow up and paper trail that they had on him was crazy. So he definitely, he was, 
he's up to some bad stuff. I don't think it was organized crime related necessarily, but um, yeah, he, and then he, you know, what I learned, I, I knew he had uh, killed himself. I've known that, you know, for my entire life basically. But what I learned from that report is that basically like the FBI, he, he was gonna, they had him um, pinned so well essentially that he was just gonna confess and turn himself in. Right. And then right before he was scheduled to do that, he that's when he killed himself. So it, it, it you know gave me some new threads to that story for sure. But yeah, really the you know going back to the sixty minutes thing, my uh, on my on that side of my family, it's all Italian, and so yeah, I was just all you know like um, they must be connected to organized crime. And um, with my grandpa, I've had a harder time figuring out what's true and what's not from that and i can't just ask him you know he died a long time ago right. i'm trying to remember exactly the year but um i want to say like 2002 or something like that so otherwise I, I would just ask him but and then i think my family now that they know i'm a writer and you know th they don't really want to tell me a lot of the stories anymore <laughs> <laughs> yep okay so Fast forwarding, uh, also similar to my story. For me, it was skateboarding. For you and your friends, you're tearing up okay. the town on your BMX bikes. Yeah, yeah, for sure, man. Yeah, and so I, I think you know the BMX and skating always went hand in hand with punk and metal for sure. Mm -hmm. it, it was always kind of like this perfect union to us. Growing up, you know, in that town, and um, my dad working at the power plant, and then um, you know my close friends' dads doing like similar hard labor around town you know they're all kind of like hard partiers for sure and so when me and my friends you know were in junior high basically our way of rebelling was to be straight edge i didn't really know the whole like um like kind of rigid subculture that was attached to it going in i had just heard you know of like ian mckay and knew that straight edge was kind of like a punk rock thing and we were like yeah that sounds awesome and we kind of latched onto that and yeah bmx was just like the perfect kind of activity in our town because you could really ride from one end of the town to the other and for us it was a way to really make um you know make a place that was otherwise fairly bleak and boring um way more exciting because suddenly we could build our own ramps and you know build our own jumps and all that good stuff and um, you know, really just make, you know, make something for ourselves. And I think that's, that's probably one of the biggest things I took from BMX, um, and living in rock Springs as a whole is that yeah. I, I think people in cities can kind of like expect like a culture to be already built for them. And then they can kind of just like get involved. But coming from a small town, I, I have the experience of like that none of that shit exists. So you just got to do it yourself. Yeah. Great and point. to me, that's such a, it's, yeah, it's a great, it's such a valuable, like, uh, mindset to have for sure. Yeah. When I hear you say things like, I'm grateful that I grew up there. That's what I hear. Cause I had the, yeah. the same experience, right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm also grateful that I don't, uh, live there anymore, but <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. definitely, yeah, for sure. I would not change it for the world to have grown up there for sure. Yeah. Uh, tell me about your band sterile. Oh, sterile. Oh, geez. <laughs> I don't think anybody's ever asked me about that, man. That's awesome. Good, good job on the research. And, um, yeah, man. So that was, um, uh, me and my buddies were, um, 
13 years old. And so I was, I was a little BMX kid already by that time and um, wasn't partying, but I also played the drums and um, had a bunch of musician friends and all my musician friends like smoked and drank. So I was always the one who just like was just, <laughs> I don't know. I was kind of around when they were like partying and stuff, but I, I never really uh, never partook when we were, um, you know, from junior high through high school. Um, and, but yeah, me and my buddies, when we were, uh, seventh and eighth grade, I think, um, had our little new metal band. We just loved, uh, corn and, uh, Limp Bizkit and Deftones and stuff. And, um, yeah, it, it was just a really fun little like new metal thing. And I don't know how it worked out, but our, the, uh, band teacher at our junior high would let us practice in the, uh, band room. For some reason, I don't know, like who convinced her to let us do that, or if she was just really cool. But that was a that was a very rad thing that that teacher did for sure. And I think that's great, you know, band teacher. It's like if kids want to play music, like why not facilitate that if you have the space to do it? So she did, and it was rad. And so we would uh, practice in the band room, and we played a couple little. Uh, we had a battle of the bands. I think was one show. And then um, the second one was the the talent show. And um, yeah, we played our couple songs or whatever we had. It's really hard to remember. And I, I really wish I had recordings of some of this stuff. You know, this was, it, so it was like 1997, 98. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, unfortunately, there's no like footage or audio that I know, to, know of um, from sterile. But yeah, we played our little uh, junior high talent show and then like all these like kids from my band and all the kind of like stoner outsider kids um later on in the talent show did a karaoke version of pink floyd's the wall and <laughs> we ended up having this huge like swarm of kids mob the stage and uh the the school decided not to do any more talent shows after that <laughs> yeah as you were talking about how cool teachers did exist back then um yeah one of our high school teachers bought a four track like on through the oh, through sick. the school so Fuck yeah uh i don't know maybe it's you know careful what you wish for because i do have recordings of my high school bands and it's probably not anything i would ever want, <laughs> ever want to show anybody oh for sure yeah. i would keep it private for <laughs> sure okay um so you talked about sabbath being kind of your entry point into doom but i think you can tell me if if i'm right about this but i think like the real uh lightning bolt for you was i hate god yeah for sure yeah definitely that was um sabbath was like insane and especially like I, I remember i'd listened to paranoid when i was 12 and and me and my friends when we were in sixth grade were like covering paranoid and iron man and i liked it and stuff but it, it didn't um like fully hit home quite then it wasn't until like a couple of years later that i really understood it and I think hearing the self-titled record for Black Sabbath and especially that intro track was like, whoa, this is fucking gnarly. This is crazy. And by that time, I was super into like early Metallica and Slayer. And um, yeah, so that early Black Sabbath really hit home. But then um, in a BMX video, yeah, there was a, a, a great video. And um, the intro song is I Hate God Blank. And to me, that was that was just like a lightning bolt for sure, like you said. Um, because I, me and my friends loved, um, you know, like, uh, Ramones and Sex Pistols and then later Black Flag. And then, um, 
And then, like I said, I already had the like Sabbath connection. And so when I heard I hate God, it was just like a car crash between those two things. And it, it was definitely like a, a moment of like, this is the music you should you should play or you want to play for sure. Yeah. I'm and, assuming um, Mike's lyrics, the the bleakness of the lyrics kind of were relatable as well, maybe. Yeah, I didn't I didn't know about his, his the vibe for sure. Mm -hmm. I, I couldn't really um I'm still pretty bad about like deciphering screams unless I have a <laughs> lyric sheet. Um so I'd only catch like bits and pieces. And so I didn't really know that many lyrics of I Hate God, but that's something I kind of like went back and appreciated more. By the time I was reading I Hate God lyrics, I had read like Bukowski and Burroughs and I could really see that influence of like, oh, he's just doing this really, it almost seems like a cut up style or this really like disjointed imagery and super weird and bleak, like you said. Um, but yeah, that was, that was a turning point for me for sure. And I think I would have started a there was nobody in my town that was into that stuff that that could play music there might be some people and i i would show my buddies that stuff and they would get into it but you know i, I was definitely like kind of a an island on like i want to this is the type of music i want to play and it wasn't until later that i you know like ended up moving to uh like denver um that you know i finally met people who were who wanted to play that type of stuff yeah, well, you've played it a lot. Uh, bands like Couch, Drainage, Former Worlds, In the Company of Serpents, all yeah. bands I would describe as of the noisy sludge variety. What is it about that specific subgenre that that holds your fascination? Yeah, kind of like that that moment with I Hate God. I think it's that it's the heaviness of of metal at its roots, but kind of with the punk aggression and ethos. I, I still kind of like going back to that DIY attitude. I really love music that kind of tells people that like, hey, you can do this too. Like, it's not easy, but, you know, you can do it. You have the ability to do it if you if you try and like dedicate to it. And I, I think that's one of the best things about punk in general. And, you know, metal started getting further and further away from that. But bands like I Hate God brought that back of like, hey, you can make something like heavy as shit with like some pretty simple notes, you know, and, and it is, I think their like their music for sure is more complex than you might initially realize. But um, yeah, it still has that inviting quality for sure. I think it's that I always, th I always think um, like punk is one of the best things to happen to metal. <laughs> and, and I think, I also think it uh, vice versa that, metal is one of the best things to happen to punk. Like when um, punk came into metal with like, I think St. Vitus really started to bring it in. And I was just rereading that that chapter from the book and and remembering and listening back to uh, the self-titled song St. Vitus, mm -hmm. that it really has like such a punk quality to it. It's like a very fuzzy punk thing. And yeah, kind of bringing back that in, inviting quality because you know, by then there was Slayer and Metallica and it was just like fast and like fucking crazy and like really anybody who heard it, you could tell like, oh, this would be really hard to play on an instrument. But I think like with something with St. Vitus, it's more like I could do that. And that's that's how it should be. It's awesome. And then it's from there. It's like I could do that. And then 
it's like, uh, well, why don't you, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, I mean, like, you know, St. Vitus were not necessarily virtuosos, you know, and, and they're obviously metal or hard rock dudes, but because of lack of options, they played to punk crowds. Do you, like, do you think they had a direct influence on sludge as a subgenre? Just from oh, coming out of the punk scene? Oh, 100%, for sure. Yeah. I, I, I think that was, St. Vitus was a huge, huge part of the later bands. Like, um, yeah, Melvin's and, you know, Melvin's really started like Buzz, Buzz Osborne says it was like a, you know, Black Flag plus Black Sabbath. Or he says it was like a a punk version of, of black Sabbath and has, has used that kind of terminology before. So I think St. Vitus playing to those punk crowds was, you know, definitely. Yeah. It, it was kind of like the lot to go from there to Melvin's and I hate God is like a pretty logical progression. Um, because you know, the people in Melvin's and I hate God were probably in those black flag crowds that, St. Vitus was playing to, you know, those like kind of uh, those antagonistic crowds that they kind of Vitus just won over just by like sheer like brute force, essentially. <laughs> they just kept doing it and kept doing it. And eventually the kids were like, actually, this is rad because <laughs> these guys are like, they don't they don't give a fuck. They're yeah. just going to do it no matter what. Yeah, you make an interesting comparison in your, in your book in the sense that the obsessed were largely playing to punk audiences as were like the Riegers fronted Vitus. So when yeah. you know, Wino came in, he was, he knew what he was, he knew what he was getting into. For sure. And I was just thinking about that, that like who, how many people in the entire world could there have been that were like that suited to the position yeah. that had like also played slow, annoying, heavy metal to punk crowds. And they found like the one dude in the entire world. And, it worked out. It's it's great. It's such an awesome story. I love that. Yeah. We're talking of of course about your 2020 book Doom to Fail. Why why a book about doom? Yeah, so um uh you know, I had read like American Hardcore and um Lords of Chaos and um what's the death metal book called? Um Oh, the death Choosing one? Death. Yeah. Yeah, Choosing Death. Um I'd read all those and, you know, really loved them. And I think as I was reading, I was like, why isn't there a book like this on doom metal? There should be one for sure. And I had kind of been playing with the idea of like doing a, a full length music journalism book at that point. Um, that's really like where my writing was focused at that time. I was, um, you know, doing some stuff for AV club and it was kind of like the end of the, the vice noisy, um heyday of of just like they had a really rad metal editor still kim kelly and she was like totally down for like cool random articles pitches that i would send her and they wouldn't they wouldn't even necessarily have to have like a a hook of like a release coming up and stuff like that if she was into the idea she would just run with it and so yeah i was really into music journalism at that time and obviously you know considering my background um heavily interested in doom and sludge and not only listening, but I was actively had been playing it for quite a while at that point. And so, yeah, like I said, with a black metal book and American hardcore and death metal reading those, I was like, man, somebody should do a, a doom metal book of, the, you know, like this for sure. And then 
Yeah, I, I, it was probably accompanied by like, you should do the doom metal book. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and so it just kind of spun from there. I think before that, I, I had played with the idea of doing like a, a full book on like, a, I was thinking about doing one on I Hate God there for a little bit. And then I thought about Neurosis. Um, I Hate God was tricky because um, I actually sent them a book proposal but i didn't want it to like you know the band is so you know they they have a song called white n-word right and i I know i'm not telling you anything new but in case people don't know and they you know had the confederate flag over all their stuff and like on on the guitarist guitar and all those things so these really like ugly elements of the band that to them were like they always said it's tongue-in-cheek but yeah it's just like just very very ugly and you know pretty awful and and not funny at all it's just like shitty in a nutshell yeah um so there's those elements of the band and as i got older and started you know essentially i don't know getting smarter i guess and when i went to college and really learned about kind of like uh you know the history of race in america and obviously you know beyond slavery but like redlining and all these things and just understood more and more like you, you know we you can't joke about that stuff especially white people like white people can't joke about that shit it's not it's not a fucking joke yeah um and so yeah those elements of i hate god it became you know much more conflicted relationship with them of like here's this music that really drew me in but then here's these really ugly aspects so i wanted to include all that stuff in the book and to me that like a book about i hate god should be complex like that like a book that you know if it was just a rock biography that's like just straight praising them that would be like totally fucking boring for one and then also not true to the band yeah because they look at the underbelly of things and all that stuff but they didn't they didn't uh like that <laughs> they weren't into it <laughs> i think they wanted more of like the praising angle hmm. and then um i asked neurosis and they basically told me that like they've thought about it for a while um but like wanted somebody close to the band who had been like close to the band over the years to write it hmm. um and now now that one would <laughs> i was gonna say with, they have their yeah. own issues now too yeah. yeah now that one with with scott kelly you know even admitting himself that he's this horrible abuser and yeah. that would be a tough one to write yeah and so anyway like after i had played with those ideas of doing a single band book you know that the it was around that similar time i was i was reading those other kind of like genre books and realized i should do it on doom and i realized that was kind of like a better fit for me as a writer anyway because i'm really into thinking um you know like how music happens from a cultural standpoint going back to like the industrial elements of birmingham shaping sabbath and all those things i i'm really interested in how like place shapes music and how people's backgrounds um, shapes the music that they play. And so many of these doom bands, just like over and over and over again, we're from these similar types of communities, you know, like you and I are from, you know, there's these kind of like burnt out industrial towns. And a lot of kids who grew up there didn't want to play like pop happy music. They wanted to do something that was more real to them for sure. And, um saint vitus is definitely one of them um lomita california i live in uh long beach now and lomita is just up the road 
and it's yeah it's 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 like you know i think gotten cleaned up over the years a little bit but it's, it's not it's a still, beach town <laughs> yeah 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 totally it's not it's not um like just up the road you have like manhattan beach and redondo beach and it's a lot cleaner but lomita and wilmington and carson and san pedro and and long beach i think is part of that are way more industrial way more blue collar the history of it and uh like lomita especially is right by like this oil refinery and wilmington is right next to it which is one of the cheaper places in los angeles county to buy property because it's literally right next to the oil refinery like the refinery refinery is in people's backyards right. essentially so it's just like they're just breathing in this horrible air and all this shit and so yeah it made perfect sense that to me that vitus is is from that but i was really interested in the, in those types of things of like why do why did these bands play this type of music and doomed to fail it just turned out to be like the perfect book for the way I, I kind of think about music and my interest in in those cultural elements it was you know i felt like like once i figured out what i like kind of the overall trajectory of the book or like the overall focus it almost wrote itself in a way because again like i said like once you started looking at these bands where they're from and their backgrounds that that type of thing came up over and over and over again for sure yeah do you think Wino's status in the genre as a whole and you know with all the the many albums and bands he he's played in does that overshadow his work in vitus do you think i wonder i don't know if it overshadows his work in vitus i wonder if um his work in vitus like overshadows all other saint vitus mm -hmm. like like I, I i'm not exactly sure but i do wonder if people like know that the the first record and first three don't have wino on them you yeah. know yeah. it wasn't until the the fourth record that they actually got wino and so i think when people say saint vitus wino is probably the name that comes up and so I, i'd be curious to hear from those guys if they feel like wino kind of overshadows that um but yeah wino is such a larger than life figure he, he definitely you know it's kind of understandable why he would for sure yeah well um, even this record we're we're going to be talking about in, in this episode three quarters of it is is stuff from the wino era yeah, yeah. i know it's it's uh, i i haven't spent a ton of time with the heavier than now compilation but um yeah going through the track list i was like oh man this is a very wino heavy and they barely picked anything from uh the rigor era for sure yeah. there there's some tracks for sure but yeah, yeah. Your book is interesting because it it really, other than Doom, it also focuses on Sludge and other offshoots of, of Doom. If you can, off the top of your head, give me five Sludge albums for people who are listening right now that are unfamiliar, don't listen to Sludge as a subgenre and want to check it out. Oh, geez, yeah, and, and just want kind of an introduction. Um, yeah, I'd say, like, the, the really, like, to me, the first record that you can actually call, like, a Sludge record, which is to me essentially like slow metal played by punk rock kids is kind of the way i think about it is melvin's uh gluey porch treatments for sure yeah. there there were like hints that i think sludge would happen with with stuff like saint vitus like you could tell that that would be a looking back you could see it, that it was going to happen probably at some point um 
or not probably i think that's going to happen inevitably but yeah to me the first like real sludge record is melvin's glue porch treatment so i definitely put that on there i hate god take as needed for pain um or and and or dope sick i think are you know really great introductions and you can hear that it's just like clear as day that it's they put black flag and black sabbath together and then that was you know kind of the impetus for the band um those two let's see this is a yeah that's a tough question i'd probably put a a cavity record on there maybe late and significant probably when there is like very kind of like crusty punk man yeah tough question because it, it the modern version especially is is so mixed in like a band like primitive man to me it like really treads that line is it sludge or is it doom but if if you want like records that are purely sludge so yeah glue porch treatments take as needed for pain um late and insignificant i'd probably put a floor record on there yeah. as just like again you can kind of hear this here's like this really simple like it, it is metal but at the same time you can tell it's played by like punk rock kids for sure um floor self-titled album there's so many it's really hard to put it on five i would also probably throw a iron monkey record on there or maybe carp just for some yeah. additional context <laughs> carp i would i would say is and people have brought it up of like why isn't there a carp chapter um if i ever did extend it i'd probably include a carp chapter for sure i guess when i was thinking about it for the book it was like you know, I guess I I had figured that Melvin's had already happened, so Carp maybe I don't know how much they actually shifted the needle, but um, as far as stuff that I actually listened to, um, the Carp records for sure. So your writing is primarily focused on nonfiction. Um, yeah, your recently published book, "The Dirt in Our Skin," is your debut novel. Mm -hmm. Tell me about that. Yeah. So. Um... You know, it circles back to the um, BMX fascination. Back in the day, there was this, um, you might have heard of it, there was this movie called Rad. Yep. Yeah, yeah. And there was a, it was kind of like part of this um, group of like extreme sports, kind of like exploitation. <laughs> ours, ours was thrashing, but yeah, <laughs> Rad was around and, as well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Gleaming the Cube. And yeah there are a couple movies like that and then there's bmx bandits too which was nicole uh kidman's first movie i'm pretty sure i'm shifting my camera up so you can see my gleaming the cube poster oh yeah yeah that's <laughs> awesome dude um so yeah there are there are those movies like kind of back in the in the 80s and they're all great and you know it's kind of like to me as like a, a bmx kid in the in the late 90s we would look back on those things and it was more of a joke than anything else, I guess, to us. Um, but within the past uh, five or so years, there was a handful of skate movies that came out that are, to me, like really nailed the culture in a much more genuine way. Um, one of them was mid nineties. It's uh, Jonah Hill's um, essentially like skateboarding coming of age movie. And it's this really, you know, kind of raw depiction of skate culture and you know, when you watch it, it's just very clear that he, he grew up in that world that, you know, Jonah Hill knows that world very well. And it's um, again, it's it's pretty gritty and, and raw and kind of um, just like pays homage to a, a time and place, I think, mm -hmm. and and what skateboarding meant for kids. And 
watching that movie, I was like, man, somebody should do that with BMX. And then it, it's similar to like the doom metal thing. I was like, I should do that with do, with BMX, mm -hmm. but I'm not a filmmaker. So, you know, I'm going to write a book about it. And I, I played with the idea of doing like a nonfiction book on like the history of BMX or like maybe kind of like a Dogtown and Z-Boys type type thing. But um, the more I thought about it and, and you know, like thought about mid-90s and there were a couple other skate movies um, within those, within, um, you know, a handful of years that came out. Mid-90s was one and then Skate Kitchen and then um, there's this other one called Minding the Gap. And they, they all just like really are very honest and gritty and when I watched those, um, like I said, I, I thought somebody should do the same for BMX, but again, I'm not a filmmaker. So yeah, I thought doing a novel would be the, the best way to do it. And as I was thinking about doing that longer, like nonfiction um, depiction of BMX, I, I kept thinking about those movies over and over. And I was like, man, it should just be a, a novel and really just like look at why people are are drawn to these things and why they do it. And with BMX especially, there's there's this like other like kind of subgenre of it, which is just building dirt jumps. Right. And um and and it, it's kind of like I think a basic thing that a lot of kids grow up doing and is a pretty universal thing to like build a jump for your bikes. But then there's these, you know, then there's this whole culture of people that took that like totally seriously and just went completely nuts with it and built just like it's hard to even describe some of the stuff that they built but just like these insane maze-like kind of um terrains of jumps that that just take like years and years of just extreme dedication that really at the end of the day it's just like this handful of people in the woods doing this really kind of like monastic thing almost and to me, it's just like so fascinating. And I think I always envied the people who are really good at that style writing because I was never really, I always wanted to write like that, but I never could. And so, yeah, I think the writing the dirt in our skin was like a vicarious way of like um, pretending that I could ride those jumps for one, because the characters in the book are really good at it. And then also just being fascinated with like the why, like why why would these people spend so much time in the woods to do this? And it's not for like, it's not for fame at the, at the, the way that they do it. It's not really like you can't really make that much money doing it because it's, it's more of like kind of a subtle style of writing. And it reminds me of sludge metal in a lot of ways. Like you don't get into playing sludge metal to make a living playing music. If you do, I, <laughs> I fucking feel bad for you because that's that's a rough living to do. You like three sludge metal bands who can make a living. And even then, like I hate God being one of the biggest ones. I know like like those dudes all have to work right. other jobs. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um Yeah, I remember somebody told me Jimmy Bauer, the guitarist, about him uh doing being an Uber driver and shit in New Orleans, which I'd need to fact check that. But yeah, in a nutshell, like you don't get into that stuff to to make a living. And and similar with this this, you know, side of BMX, it's just extremely dedicated and people dedicate their lives to it, but it's like purely just like an artistic pursuit. And all that stuff is just super interesting to me and yeah, I knew nobody else would ever really would probably write a book 
about that. And I always think back to like something that would have captured my interest in high school because I was pretty, you know, pretty like disenfranchised kid as far as like schoolwork right. uh, went. But there were a handful of moments of like a book getting through. I remember reading Catcher in the Rye when I was in high school and I was like, oh, this is actually cool. Yeah. Like this is this is the only one I can relate to. All this other shit is like <laughs> it, it, it doesn't it's boring. It's too old. I'm not into this. But there's a couple things that hit home. And so I always think back of like, what's a book that you actually would have read in high school and gotten stoked about? And I think The Dirt in Our Skin, I would have read that in a day for yeah. sure. And I really love that kind of, um, you know, just trying to reach into audiences of people who might not even regularly read books that often. But to get people who who don't really read that often to like, oh, I have to read that book. To me, that's like a rad I don't know, a rad thing to try to do. Um, and I, I think I've tried to do that with all my books in, in one way or another. Is Glut your current band? Yeah, yeah, Glut. So, um, yeah, we have a... I was in a, a band that I really loved before the pandemic called Drainage. Um, and we were pretty active, but, <clears throat> you know, like many bands, the pandemic um, shook things up in a lot of ways. And... I also became a, a father in 2021 and um, my friend in drainage still wanted to like, you know, be more active than I wanted to as a dad. And he's still trying to like tour and play out of town shows and stuff like that. And so, yeah, drainage um, kind of um, fell apart for me or I don't know if he's still going to try and do it at some point, but um, yeah, I left to, and ended up forming my own band with people who were willing to like, you know, stick around our area of like, you know, Los Angeles County and, and play shows within a couple hours. And I've also really loved uh, noise rock over the years. I think that's kind of like another side of my, my musical interest that alongside the like sludge and doom and hardcore and metal noise rock it was always like something that stood out to me as being very interesting. I was always like heavily influenced by um, or interested in like shellac and Jesus lizard and all that stuff. And uh, again, carp, I think is like, are they sludge or are they a noise rock band or, you know, somewhere in between. Um, so I've, I've loved that type of stuff for a long time. And I think as I get older and, and see a lot of like just totally dead serious metal bands, I do want something with like more of like a tongue in cheek, element to it and i think that's that's one of the reasons i go back to carp over and over as i get older is like here's a band that was like heavy and fucking gnarly but they were also like they weren't they were self-aware still and they weren't dead serious and i think like with right now i feel like death metal is kind of the the thing you know it's kind of like the um it's the definitely darling. it's definitely making a comeback with yeah in, in the metal world and, and I, I love death metal you know don't get me wrong for sure and i it's great to see the resurgence but i also see a lot of that um like from the 90s death metal of, of just like totally dead serious deadpan and as i get older i'm like man i'm too like i don't know if i'm like too cynical for that or like what happened but I really like something with more of like a smart ass tinge to it now. And so Glut has, has really satisfied that of like, you know, we, we want to make music to take people's heads off and 
but at the same time we want you know to laugh along the way for sure mm-hmm. um so yeah it's it's you know we just released an album and it's um it's we will we'll never tour the band or anything like that we're not trying to get signed really or um but yeah it's it's been a great outlet and we have um some cool um shows and stuff coming up in the future right on where can people find more of your writing um so if you go to my website uh com, you can find uh links to all my books and um a bunch of um you know different music writing articles and personal essays and all kinds of good stuff and then links to my music so it's it's a, a good place to find um just all that stuff right on jj thanks so much for taking the time to talk to me today i really appreciate it thanks so much brian it was a pleasure man all right excellent so glad to have jj on he brings such an interesting perspective and like i said at the outset of the show very similar uh backstory as yourself brant here and there which i loved hearing about i also loved a couple of the name drops during that interview like carp or or floor the two bands that i love that i wouldn't have thought would uh would feature prominently in his book so now i've got to get that book yep i've got to get it and do you remember what carp stands for i didn't i didn't remember that it stood for anything yeah, it stands for Kill All Redneck Pricks. Okay, I'm yeah. down with that. Totally, right? Yeah. So uh, JJ's first book, as we mentioned, was 2016's Heavy, a memoir of Wyoming, BMX, drugs, and heavy fucking music on Rare Bird. Uh, he's younger than me, but it, like you say, his story is very similar to mine and so many others. Isolated, working class community yep. on a boom and bust cycle based around natural resource extraction. Um, huge culture of drinking and drugs. Where I come from, it was totally acceptable thing for teenagers to do. And, you know, the point he makes about kind of creating your own scene, I guess, or like a natural DIY spirit born of necessity is so true. Uh, like my, my friends and I, um, you know, making our own tapes, photocopying covers, putting on our own shows, even without knowing there was an entire subculture out there in the world already doing that. The town I'm from is wild and weird. Several unsolved murders. The year I graduated high school in the early 90s, there was like four murders or something like that. When I was like 13, I was riding my skateboard downtown at midnight or whatever on like a Friday night and this massive brawl spilled out of the main bar. Like just 20 hard hard as hell lumberjacks just throwing down and I just stood there with my skateboard watching this brawl. And stuff like that was just totally normal. Like I, you know, you had to fight when you were in high school. Obviously I was a skater and a, and a punk. So there was no question I was going to get into fights. That was another huge part of the culture. So reading that, you know, that and his 2022 book out here on our own, an oral history of, a, of an American boomtown, lots of similarities to my, my experience. He goes into more detail of the, the town's history that he's from in that book. And it's, it's a wild one. Um, you can find both of those episodes of the 60 Minutes. Um, they're called Our Town 1 and 2. Dan Rather went there and, and did these these stories. And um, part 2 is called High Noon in Cheyenne. And that's the one that uh, implicates his grandfather, Don Unsalmi, is uh, part of this corruption. Part 1 is just totally insane. Like, that town was just fucked. Um, there's another book I, I picked up just uh, after 
I just while researching this, I discovered this book. It's called The Last Western. Um, I found this just in the last week while I went down this total rock springs rabbit hole. This is about a, a murder of an undercover cop in that a true story that happened in, in Rock Springs by another cop. Wow. So uh, lost the check out there. Uh, his brand new novel, The Dirt in Our Skin, I haven't read it yet. It just came out. It's also on Rare Bird. Kind of draws on his own history with BMX culture and how it relates to escapism and, and kids with like tumultuous home lives. Looking forward to checking that out. You can find actually footage on his YouTube channel of he and his friends just tearing up Rock Creek in the early 2000s on their, on their BMX bikes. Then there's his music uh, writing, which is what led me to him and his, his personal story in the first place. Doom to Fail is great because it covers not just Doom, mm -hmm. uh, but Sludge, uh, all, and also Doom-influenced post-metal. Bands Brian, like, Spotlights is in there. Yep. Harvey Milk, Isis, Neurosis, The Body, Sun, Earth, all these kinds of bands, right? You can find a lot more writing on his site. He's written extensively for various sites and publications on all kinds of subjects. Um, but of particular interest to our listeners would be his other music writing. Um, he wrote the liner notes to the 2017 reissue of Sepultura's Chaos AD. He's got a great piece that originally appeared in Revolver magazine called How Melvin's Invented Sludge. <laughs> There's a crank piece called 10 Doom, Sludge, and Post Metal Bands Defying LA's Dreamlike Image uh, for people who want to read about some, some current LA bands working in that area. A great piece up on his site about uh, the quicksand album Slip that he did for the AV Club. Tons Ooh. more that listeners of this show uh, would just be all over. Yeah, for sure. What magazine did you say? Krang or Kerrang? <laughs> Kerrang. <laughs> Okay, I was thought you were like, are you talking about that brain from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles? But it's Kerrang, it's right? It's Kerrang, yeah. There you go. Okay, gotcha. Uh, talking about Sabbath uh, being a big early influence, I can relate to that as well. So many of my friends' parents um, had the same records in their collections, and we, we all stole all of them, like Zeppelin IV, Early Alice Cooper, Deep Purple, Made in Japan, Black Sabbath, Paranoid. I've probably talked about this before, but I have a vivid early memory of being like eight years old and sitting with the neighbor kids in their parents' van in the driveway listening to Alice Cooper Goes to Hell and Paranoid on 8-Track. That cover of image of that Alice Cooper record where he's all green is just seared into my memory. Huh. Uh, he talks about gluey porch treatments. The The first Melvin's full length as being one of the defining moments in what be, you know became termed as sludge. There's a chapter in the book titled Sniffing Glue on Your Cousin's Porch, where he also draws uh, this comparison to Sabbath's upbringing in Birmingham. Here's what he says. Growing up in a small town will make you weird. There's bad weird, salty townies who fear change. There's also good weird, outcasts who come of age consuming any and all culture that crosses their path and who don't see distinctions between genres the way city kids do. Buzz Osborne and Dale Crover of Melvin's fit into the second category. So in the same chapter, he's talking about, quote, the ugly spawn of punk and metal we now call sludge. And he says, Melvin's can't be credited as the genre's sole inventor, however. San Francisco's Flipper crawled ashore in 1979. Mm -hmm. And then after talking about Flipper and their, their impact, he says, St. Vitus released its eponymous record featuring the sludge jam St. Vitus in 1984. 
That same year, Black Flag put out My War, the B-side of which wallows in slow hardcore. He goes on to talk about how Black Flag was antagonizing audiences and the appeal that would have for someone like Buzz. He says, listening to gluey porch treatments alongside Flipper, St. Vitus, and Black Flag is like comparing Sabbath to Zeppelin. They might drink at the same watering hole, but Sabbath and Melvins are clearly apex predators. If you think distinguishing between Doom and Sludge is academic, compare Gluey Porch Treatment's track Heater Moves and Eyes to Sabbath Trouble or Candle Mass. Those band songs, although slow and ominous, are often driven by easily digestible melodies and choruses, and they follow discernible narrative arcs. Heater Moves and Eyes is instead angular, nonsensical, and deliberately sloppy, putting off a very different vibe than Sabbath Doom. Because Sludge is slow metal, often written by people who grew up playing punk, there's a sneering irony you won't find in Doom. Instead of depicting that most epic battle between good and evil or reaching for spiritual truth, Sludge is typically more grounded, delving into life's negativity while laughing at its absurdity. That's all true of gluey porch treatments. Yeah, boy, that's that's spot on. Yeah. Well written too. Can't wait to read that book. Can't yeah. believe I haven't read his book yet. Um, I think I probably was maybe just thinking I'm not a big fan of doom music, so that book is not for me, but yeah. uh, I was wrong. I got to check that out. Am I right that gluey porch treatments is probably one of your favorite Melvin's records though? Like I feel like you pull that one out oh yeah very, reg- very regularly i right? do yeah I, well i the the cd with that and ozma together was a go- right was go-to for me yeah, yeah i feel like that was i mean we bonded over that too decades ago yeah. i remember that that was a big one for you i feel like the the atlantic records are the ones that really hooked me in and you might have been melvin's before i was melvin's yeah i liked those atlantic ones as well but um Gluey and Bullhead and Ozma were, were big. And Lysol was a big one for me. Eggnog. Yeah. He's talking about his novel and dirt jumps. Um, I was watching some videos on YouTube. It's a pretty wild subculture. These dudes out in Pennsylvania, in the one I was watching, just out in the woods building these, building these insane ramps and just flying over top of like fern trees and shit. Um, just like the effort that goes into this because they they're carting water all the way out there to form these ramps and just putting it in all this work to just build your own spot out in the middle of nowhere it's definitely a huge part of the attraction like Mm -hmm. you know the building as much as the riding i would say yeah uh jj's own music he's played drums in several cool sludge noise bands you can find um some links to some of the Bandcamp pages uh for former worlds drainage his current band glut uh, there's some YouTube YouTube footage, including a full set from Drainage. Lost to check out there. So tee up the Glut EP, which is probably my favorite, and read some of JJ's writing in between headbanging. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Yeah. Should we get into this comp? Sure, man. History lesson, part two. All right. So interested to hear your take on this comp. For me, it was... Just a reminder of tracks that we've been through before. You're more of a, I would say, a connoisseur than I am. So interested to hear your take on this record. I mean, I love some of the the lyrics still stuck out and some of the music, but I suspect that even some of the track selection may be controversial, perhaps. For me, yeah. I mean, it's all subjective, but 
I'll talk about that a bit after we go through the whole thing. But, um, you know, I like Scott Riegers. And yeah. the fact that this is three quarters, I love Wino too, musically. There's a new Obsessed album. I uh, People were messaging our, our page and stuff or emailing and asking me, Do you, have you checked out the new Obsessed? I got two songs in and he's, uh, there's a lyric that's like ranting about fucking snowflakes or something like that. And I had just shut it off. What it, what is snowflakes code for in like uh, conspiracy theorist? I wouldn't know. Oh, I don't know. It's just right wing crap. Is it a snow? Is it like a, is it like chemtrails or something? No, a snowflake is like uh, something psychopaths call people when um, you know they want to like discredit the notion of empathy. Oh God! You know, I don't know. It's just stupid. I would I would wholeheartedly agree. Yeah. Every I don't even know like what that is or what like I said, chemtrails or whatever. I tried to watch this one documentary a while back about flat earthers. (laughs) (laughs) I I couldn't get more than five minutes in. I'm just like, this is actually literally going to make me a dumber person to sit through this. So I'm out, baby. I'm going to, I'm going to go watch and listen to something a little bit more intelligent. Yeah. I just can't do it. I won't, I won't give it my time or my money or my energy. None of it. This comp was, was released in 1991, 14, 14 tracks on double LP, CD, and cassette. As mentioned in the interview, it's front-loaded with Wino-era tracks, which is telling, in particular, a Born Too Late material. Five out of the six tracks off of that album are on this comp. Um, half of follow-up album, Mournful Cries, three out of the six from that album are on here. Two out of the three tracks off of the Thirsty and Miserable EP. Those tracks are are also on the CD version of Born Too Late, which is why the liner notes on the back of the comp say one through seven originally appear on on Born Too Late, uh, SST 82. Essentially, side one and two of the LP and side one of the cassette is Born Too Late, minus the the two tracks in a a different order. Side C is um, the three from Mournful Cries, and then the last four tracks on side D are all Rieger's era. Two from uh, the debut and two from Hollow's Hollow's Victim. So I'm going to pepper in some of JJ's writing as we do an overview of these tracks. Um, Mm. And similar to to those other comps that we've done recently, we'll just be doing an overview. Like uh, we've discussed these tracks in in greater detail on other episodes. Yeah. Do you have this comp? Yeah. I don't. I don't. Oh, you do? Yeah. Okay. Is that an original like SST pressing? Yep. Wow, nice one. Yeah. I just I just have like the original albums and I knew that the tracks were on this, so I don't I don't have this comp. Mm. I listen I listened to it by dropping the needle <laughs> dropping the needle on the various records in order. Well, that's some effort, man. Yeah. Yeah. Uh okay, here's JJ. When Wino joined, Saint Vitus already had most of Born Too Late written. The band didn't dilly-dally, releasing that album half a year after Riegers left. Producer Joe Carducci remembered that St. Vitus practiced in a backyard shed in Lomita. The owner of the house sold crack, adding another layer to the negativity, Carducci said. Whereas, this is JJ, this is JJ again. Whereas Riegers' croon sounds similar to that of Bobby Liebling, that's the singer for Pentagram, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Wino's vocals are gruff, giving Born Too Late an added layer of toughness. In opener and the second track on this comp, Born Too Late, Wino sings about social alienation in a narrative similar to Iron Man, 
except it's grounded in real life, not a sci-fi universe. Yeah, those are the lyrics that when I heard them, I was like, oh yeah, those are pretty good. Yeah. Here's JJ. Much of the record moves with the foreboding lurch of that track, but there's also faster songs like Clear Window Pane and Hag. Even when St. Vitus picks up the tempo, it sounds like music played by a troop of yetis. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, uh, the four tracks inside one are Clear Window Pane, the title track from Born Too Late, um, Look Behind You, and uh, the title track from the Thirsty and Miserable EP. Look Behind You was an earlier song they had done with Riegers and released uh, the Winos version, or sorry, the Riegers version is on the Blasting Concept 2. Um, Thirsty is, of course, a cover of the Black Flag song. So right off the bat, uh, two of our ballot result picks are off the table for this release, Born Too Late and Look Behind You, we've both selected. Yeah, that sounds about right. I did like listening to these tracks, you know, kind of the swung up-tempo uh, songs that do kind of remind me of what I like about Sabbath. Yeah. What struck me this time, though, for side A, when I was listening to it, was clear window pane, how the drums are like basically all on toms yeah. the, the whole time. There's like no snare in that song, it sounds like. To me, anyways, there probably is. Buried. Um, but also, what I was thinking of is the the phaser guitar and wah-wah pedal. Yeah. Remember, remember how we were talking way back when about how that was really unusual for like Jay Mascus to be whipping out pedals yeah. like that? Yeah. So it struck me that it was kind of, I don't know if it was probably more common for a doom band to be going phaser and wah-wah than, than Jay Mascus back then. I don't know, but if it's, it just struck me that, you know, you didn't really see those types of pedals from the the 60s and 70s show up that much when this stuff was happening. Well, these are classic rock dudes, right? Right, yeah, you for know. sure. That's their influence. Yeah. Just like it was for Jay. Yeah. To to pull those pedals out. Yeah. I I love the in um Born Too Late when he goes much too slow. <laughs> <laughs> um side B has three more tracks off of Born Too Late. Dying Inside, The Lost Feeling, and Hag. This side is pretty bleak with the one-two punch of Dying Inside, dealing with someone struggling and failing to deal with their addiction to alcohol. Yeah. And The Lost Feeling, talking about depression. Uh, the choice to not double-track the guitar, particularly on Dying Inside, and have the rhythm drop out when Dave plays a lead, only adds to the bleakness. It's so slow, it almost sounds like the song stops. Yeah. Because through that effect. Yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. I was totally rocking to dying inside this week. That baseline, the whispering Armando's, uh, Bill Wardisms, you know, with the, the jazzy rim shots, kind of a throwback to Sabbath song, hand of doom. Uh, uh, oh yeah. And lost feeling. Yeah. 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 Uh, I'm sure I mentioned this on born too late on, on that episode, but the baseline makes me think of the Melvin's track lividity. Every time I hear it, mm. speaking of the, the Atlantic years. Well, speaking of the Melvins, Hag is definitely a Melvins sounding song name. Hag me? Yeah, exactly, right? Yep. Um, and that track too, I was just digging the ride, the bell on the ride symbol on that track. Just working the bell on the ride symbol. Yeah. And it's definitely some Iomi-isms. That's a oh, new word. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I Iomi-isms. Yep. Side C represents the three, three tracks from Mournful Cries. Here's JJ. 
Just one year after Born Too Late, St. Vitus put out Mournful Cries, another masterful and genre-defining album. Opener The Creeps finds the quartet returning to its roots by rampaging forth with walls of fuzz punk. Shooting Gallery depicts the misery of life in a heroin den, matching lyrics like I saw women and men kill themselves again and again with equally hopeless instrumentation. St. Vitus often focuses on concrete negativity, summing up its worldview in the lyric, The world is fucking sad. Morphal Cries also includes Dragon Time and The Troll, the latter mixing a fantastical character with the bleak perspective of Born Too Late. The Troll was actually our ballot result pick for um, Mournful Cries, and it's not uh, its not included on this comp. Oh, there you go. Opportunity knocks. Yeah. Uh, we get Shooting Gallery, uh, Bitter Truth, uh, which is also on Program Annihilator 2, actually, and Dragon Time. So on the actual SST comp, is there that intro, quote-unquote, to Bitter Truth? What's the intro? It's like... It's called Intro on Mournful Cries into the song Bitter Truth. Hmm, I don't know. I, di- I didn't check. I don't think it, so. I don't think it's on the track listing. No. And and I just wondered whether it was actually like in the grooves. No. I would Homework. Say yeah. Homework. Okay, so you know the answer. There you go. <laughs> uh, side D is side riggers. So here's JJ. St. Vitus takes Sabbath's crawl to a primal extreme. He's talking about the album St. Vitus. Replace or the song, replacing the jazz flourishes with Neanderthal simplicity. Exactly like Black Flag and Minor Threats music, parts of the LP's appeal is that it doubles as an uh, invitation encouraging fans to play music. I thought that was an interesting point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. The first track, St. Vitus, is mid-tempo hardcore, doused in distortion, and quite possibly the first sludge metal song on record. Rieger's vocals surf atop a toxic wave of Chandler's guitar and Acosta's drumming, which has its own riptide. Halfway through, a punk choir yells, St. Vitus, St. Vitus, St. Vitus dance, brilliantly utilizing the hardcore trope of group vocals in a metallic context. St. Vitus reaches peak heaviness in the closer, Burial at Sea. The track clocks in at over eight minutes and lumbers at a slower pace than Black Sabbath, he, he means the song. That would have been mind-blowing in 1984. Chandler plays torturous power chords and tremoring single notes before St. Vitus, the song, charges forward with snarling, punk-laden thrash, but only to regress back to the prehistoric gate of its opening. The track exaggerates key elements of Sabbath's sound. The slow parts are slower and the fast parts faster in a move that countless bands have used since. SST released Hollow's Victim and The Walking Dead EP in 1985. The title track of Hollow's Victim begins with striding doom, but then bursts into a hardcore sprint, making for another perfect example of proto-sludge. As for The Walking Dead, its eponymous song moves at a sloth's pace, while Darkness and White Stallions mix Sabbath Swing with the feral violence of early Metallica. So here we get uh, the two from Hollow's Victim, War Is Our Destiny, uh, which was our ballot result pick for that album, and White Stallions, and two from the self-titled debut, White Magic, Black Magic, and the song St. Vitus. So when I was listening to War Is Our Destiny and White Stallions, those tracks, like kind of faster, yeah. double kick, double kick, right? Yeah. And I'm like, this is the, this is the Vitus that Brandt 
likes the most. Yeah. No, know, knowing this, I have a question for you. Okay. Do you know, and if so, do those tracks remind you at all of this band that used to be around in the '90s up here in Canada called the Muscle Bitches? Hmm. Do you know the Muscle Bitches? I, well, I do. They played uh, like mini guitars. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, dude, it has been 20 years or more since I've heard the muscle bitches. You got to get back on it. And yeah. then I want to, I want to know if this at all, <laughs> if, if the, if the tracks wars are destiny, that yeah. one in particular, does it remind you of the I, muscle bitches? I feel like muscle bitches was awesome live. Not so awesome on album. True. Yep. True. Yep. Yep. They were way better live. <laughs> especially with those mini guitars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay, so here's my thoughts on on all of this. And of course, this is just my opinion. Um, like, Born Too Late undoubtedly brought in some new fans to the band. I, I think partially because by the time it came out, metal was generally more fashionable. Uh, so why wouldn't you use this comp to hip some newer fans to the Riggers era? Like, most people that bought this, for sure, if they had any... St. Vitus at all. They probably had Born Too Late, right? Yeah. So why do you need to buy it again? I say make it chronological. So make side D, the rigor side, the A side. Scrap the songs Shooting Gallery, Bitter Truth, Hag, Thirsty and Miserable. I would get rid of all of those. I would add on the rigors version of Look Behind You instead of the Wino version. Hmm. I would put on the Psychopath uh, off of the debut, which was our ballot result pick off of that album. Uh, and if there's room, I would put on the song The Walking Dead, which was our ballot result pick from that EP, but it's a 12-minute long song, so might not fit. Space permitting, I guess. I'd also put on the song The Troll from Mournful Cries, our ballot result pick from that. That would wow. be my, that would be my suggestion. <laughs> Sounds like you got to make a Spotify playlist now. Yeah. yeah, yeah, no kidding. Well, the first record should be all Riggers, in my opinion. Yeah, chronological would make sense. It is weird that they kind of relegate it to the end mm -hmm. it is weird and it is weird that they basically re-released born too late yeah i don't know i love wino's vocals and i love so many of wino's bands you know his his current uh, uh thinking not included you know yeah yeah the artwork ryan super bare bones um every time i see the cover i think of uh the spinal the spinal tap smell the glove you know it's <laughs> It's none more black. None more black. It looks like black leather. Yeah. Well, it basically just looks like the self-titled St. Vitus record with the title of this album on the or on the bottom. That's all it is. It's a very dismal looking record. Yeah. That Vitus logo is wicked though. Classic. Like Vitus shirts should be as ubiquitous as Motorhead t-shirts probably with a logo like that. Yeah. The cross in yeah. the V is pretty deadly. Yeah. And and the S's on the other side giving it that symmetry. Yeah. Pretty nice. The cross on the back, Sabbath, of course, used a lot of crosses and wore giant crosses that Ozzy's dad made it at the machine shop he worked at in Birmingham. Uh, I don't have it anymore, unfortunately, but when I was in high school, I had a copy of the self-titled Sabbath album that was a gatefold and it had inside it, it had an inverted cross with liner notes written inside it exactly like this. What, like upside down? Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. Just like Danzig 2, Lucifuge. Yeah, trying to, yeah, <laughs> just like it, yeah. The, 
that was the label trying to cash in on on Savas reputation, right? Which Danzig to Lucifuge? No. <laughs> that's it though that's the artwork it's not like i don't know it's like a lot of these sst double albums it's not even a gatefold yeah it's the bare bones of bare bones yeah all right man well i can't wait to see what you picked for ballot result ballot result okay so of the six main releases on sst four albums and two eps Three of our picks made the cut here. War is Our Destiny, Look Behind You, and Born Too Late. So, I don't know. We're we're batting 50%, I guess. Yeah. I think you got to go for the D side on this one, though. Oh, give, yeah. it to, give it to Scott. Let's hear it. Well, my pick would be White Stallions from the self-titled album. Or I, I would go with Lost Feeling, actually, from Born Too Late. Or Dragon Time from Mournful Cries. But I love White Stallions. I'm sure it was a contender, contender when we did that album. You know, the stun guitar, the dramatic pause after the solo, Rieger's vocal. It's just bitching. And the double kick. You probably just get yeah. pumped, hey? Oh, yeah, man. Yeah. <laughs> Let's do it. All Let's right. do it. White Stallions. Yeah. All right. Hey, Ryan, thanks to JJ for being on the show. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, what's next week? Next week, Brent, it's been a while since we've had any releases by this outfit on the show. It's SST 267 the No Man Whamon Express LP. So that's Roger Miller, of course. Can't wait to check that out. Yeah, can't wait. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, all at Mojack Pod. We post all kinds of info and tons of pictures of the bands and albums we discuss on the show. Our blog is mojackpod.com. Please check it out for some exclusive content. If you like what we do and want to support the podcast, the best way to do that is to tell your friends about the show. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing on iTunes is also appreciated. We love hearing your opinions, corrections, and feedback, so feel free to post on our social media sites and send us an email to mojackpod at gmail.com. Thanks again for all the support, and we hope to see you next week.